If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. You're with Chris Smith on today's News Talk Radio. TNT. G'day, g'day. Welcome to the program. It is good to have your company and to a jam-packed show. And one of the reasons why we have such a jam-packed show is the news cycle in the past 24 hours, and for that matter, 48 hours, has been immense. There's a stack happening in the Middle East, which you would have gleaned from the last news report, and a lot happening elsewhere, including at the trial of Donald Trump in New York over fraud charges. So there's lots of stories to get across. And uh, we've got plenty of people who are giving us an insight into some of those biggest stories. I'll be kicking off with the way President can- presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy turned the tables on the press this week. It was brilliant to watch. He was making an excellent and indisputable point that for the past eight years, there are many, many huge breaking news stories that the media got wrong, that when it came to conspiracy theories, the media wiped off much of what could be explained for the news stories that broke, but they wouldn't accept another point of view. Only did they accept the government narrative, and Vivek made that point brilliantly during the week, and I'll play for you some of what he had to say. Donald Trump is also front page again in the US tonight as he upset the judge in his fraud case by delivering an angry denial of guilt and claimed that he was being persecuted by the Biden administration. I'll be speaking with Ed Martin, president of the Eagle Forum Education and Legal Defence Group shortly. We will also talk about another key indictment against Trump, which could be thrown out of court because One of the district attorneys associated with the indictment, Fannie Willis, has been found to secretly collude with the Democrat-run January 6 committee to obtain tips that would help prosecute Donald Trump. This is red hot. And the recruitment crisis within the US military, um, is it any wonder that white recruits are walking a mile from the Army, the Navy, and the Air Force, because they are seen to be demonised by those in the military. We'll talk about that and more with Ed Martin. Israeli Special Forces troops are circling Gaza based on intelligence that Hamas is now endeavouring to secretly move the remaining hostages to other nations. On top of that, as you would have heard, there were strikes occurring on Houthi headquarters in Yemen in the last 12 hours, carried out by UK and US attack um, aircraft. And from what I can see from the latest reports, and they've only just come through, but what we're seeing now is basically the US saying to Yemen, saying to Iran and the Houthis that they will not accept any kind of uh, terrorist attacks on fleet through the Red Sea. And so we'll get to Army Intelligence Officer Shane Healy, who will unpack the Gaza conflict for us, and the beginning of the international court trial against Israel on charges of genocide. That is underway. In the second hour, we will head down under. We'll hear from Australia's number one libertarian, John Ruddick, MLC, 
And the Southern Hemisphere's most politically incorrect former radio commentator, Jim Ball. Lots to talk about, including a major blockade in Germany by angry farmers, Andrew Fauci's confession on social distancing, and the traitorous banning of the sale of Australia Day merchandise by two supermarket giants. This is having enormous repercussions because what shoppers are doing are basically boycotting both Aldi and Woolworths. More on that with both John and Jim. But let's hear from you on the program today. We have time. Uh, Whenever we have a guest on or a commentator, you are very much invited to join the conversation. And you can do that on our three numbers from US and Canada. You can dial in on 1-888-201-6425. From the UK, 033-0024-1026. And from Australia and New Zealand, 1-800-670-310. You're with Chris Smith. We're broadcasting live on the Global News Talk Network, TNT. Delivering the facts. Source I can trust. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. So how much does the mainstream media tell lies? And do they tell these lies intentionally? Or are they just programmed to believe and therefore report on what they're told? Well, the question is a very important one, especially nowadays, because as we know, governments are experts at manipulating mainstream media to suit their lies, and the US is in the middle of an election campaign. And it's a question that GOP presidential candidate and entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy put to the media, that's right, put to the press himself, to them directly this week. At a very odd press conference in Iowa on Tuesday, Vivek was defending himself against claims he was campaigning on conspiracy theories. But he turned the tables on the media, didn't he? They weren't expecting this. Firstly, raising the media's coverage of Russian collusion by the Trump camp in 2016. By show of hands, who here is willing to admit that the Trump-Russia collusion hoax was indeed incorrectly reported by the mainstream media. Is there anybody here able to admit that that was incorrect reporting? It wouldn't be really appropriate for us to answer a question. Why not? Why would that be inappropriate? I think it would be inappropriate. What's inappropriate is lying to the public. We're doing our job asking. Was the public lied to or did the media report on this set of facts that were provided? So that's, that's a fair question. I actually think that the public was lied to long after the media systematically still understood that this was the product of the Steele dossier. The Steele dossier was a piece of Russian disinformation provided by the Hillary Clinton campaign that was served up to the federal government as a basis for issuing a FISA warrant to then potentially infiltrate a member of the opposition party. If this was Bush and Cheney doing it to John Kerry, This would have been the stuff of scandal. How 100% correct is he? Of course it would have been a scandal. But the point is that the media accepted what they were getting from the Hillary Clinton campaign over something that they were accusing Trump of doing, whether it's a dossier or not, evidence or not. It was coming from the opponents. There's a conflict of interest. Why would you accept that as fact? But they did. They did for years until they were made to eat humble pie. 
But of course, they won't eat humble pie when they're asked directly in a press conference like Vivek Ramaswamy did. No member of the media engaged in his Q&A. They didn't put their hands up. They said, oh, it's not our job. You've got to be answerable at some stage, don't you? I think he was able to conclusively prove in that little exchange that the media did take what they were told by the Clinton camp as the truth and pursued Trump endlessly. And again, he raised another issue which was dealt with by the American media in the same way, the origins of COVID-19. Here he was again. Just by show of hands, does anybody believe the media's reporting about the origin of COVID-19? ran flatly in face of the facts that you have a Wuhan Institute of Virology that was now the likely origin of the COVID-19 pandemic. You all said that it wasn't for a long time. By show of hands, was the Wuhan lab the likely origin of the COVID-19 pandemic? Everybody, media or not. So, so you have reported, the same media that has reported that the COVID-19 pandemic did not originate in a lab in Wuhan, is willing to even say, unwilling to admit today. The report came out in 2023, so I guess. It was known that there was a Wuhan Institute of Virology where they were conducting gain-of-function research, the very city which was the origin of a global pandemic, and yet the media's explanation was that somehow it could have been any source other than actually having started in a lab. He's right again. 100% right. The... Anthony Fauci theory about the virus jumping from bat to human was the accepted government theory. That was what the media went with. Mainstream media said, this is where the world thinks the virus came from. And the likes of myself and others who at the time said, well, hang on a minute, there's a lab there, a Wuhan virology laboratory. Uh, Are you suggesting that seeing that it's only four blocks away, it wouldn't have anything to do with an escaping virus? And just because the Chinese said, no, you'd believe that? Well, we were pilloried. I remember being pilloried on the ABC in Australia because I would dare suggest that this was a feasible argument. Of course, now we know what we know. It's more feasible than any argument on the table. They were wrong to view the Wuhan lab connection as some kind of Trump conspiracy, especially due to the location of the lab, the work being done inside the lab and the penchant for the Chinese Communist Party to never admit making a mistake, especially one so catastrophically um, involved in the world. It was immense. Of course, the Chinese wouldn't agree to that. But as soon as you took that side at the beginning, you were castigated heavily. You're a conspiracy theorist. So why does the media do this? Um, Look, as someone who's spent most of his career in the mainstream field, it's part of the media's political culture. It just is. And a culture built on mistrusting conservatives and conservative theories and lining up next to progressives. It is in their culture. It is in their DNA. And it's run by individuals in newsrooms right around the world by people who have the same DNA. It's rampant. That's what it is. Plus, and I've always said this, especially in more recent times, a complete utter laziness in actually getting out of the office, getting into the public domain and finding the truth 
to the story because sitting comfortably in an air-conditioned newsroom in front of a cosy computer terminal, cutting and pasting, you know, common narratives is a very easy way to spend your work time. And I've seen it time and time again. That's exactly what happens in so many newsrooms. Uh, by the way, the final GOP debate took place in Iowa on Wednesday night, as you know, without Ramaswamy because he didn't meet qualifying criteria, which is basically he was only in single figures still in terms of poll numbers. Now, only Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley took to the stage at Drake University. Trump again opted to bow out and miss the debate, and Chris Christie officially bowed out. Now, afterwards, Ramaswamy's advisor categorically denied that Vivek's campaign was over. He won't accept that. Trisha McLaughlin, his communications director, said, the energy we're seeing on the ground in Iowa is electric and that level of turnout and excitement is far surpassing the cratering DeSantis and astroturfed Haley campaigns. Interesting choice of words. The Iowa caucuses will take place on Monday. The business part of finding the nominee is about to begin. But this week, though, and I played those grabs with a great deal of joy. Uh, Vivac has done a very good service to the people of the world, and in particular, the United States, in alerting everyone to not believe what they hear, read or see from mainstream media. Because not only are they biased, but they've been proven in the last eight years to get so many of the biggest stories in the world wrong. This is TNT. TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. 13 Israeli hostages released uh, as part of that ceasefire deal uh, 49 days after they were taken hostage. 49 days. So that still leaves about 225 to 227 more hostages. Uh, I'm with John Bolton, the former national security advisor to Donald Trump. I'm with Britt Hume of, uh, of Fox News. I'm with a bunch of other people who say this gives Hamas too much time to do whatever they want to do, to do whatever they need to do, to regroup, to rearm, to re-strategize. And as much as you want the hostages back, it can't be at the expense of the other part of the mission, which is to destroy Hamas. So I think it's a mistake. Steve Malsberg on TNT Radio. The Light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles, and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk, and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. They've launched a new service called Wake Up Your Neighbours, where you can get copies delivered to the streets right around you if you don't want to do it yourself. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. Thelightpaper.co.uk if you're still wearing a cloth or a surgical mask around in public, you're guilty of spreading COVID misinformation. It really is that simple. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Good to have your company. Well, is Donald Trump toying with his persecutors or does he have a legitimate reason to delay the fraud trial that's coming to an end at the moment? This week, Donald Trump's mother-in-law died aged 78. And given this deeply personal family matter, Trump's attorney requested to postpone the date for closing arguments. 
and, and not until February or March, until the end of this month. But Judge Arthur Engoran, who's presiding over the case, said Trump's mother-in-law dying is not a sufficient reason to delay closing arguments. Let's bring in Ed Martin, president of the Eagle Forum Education and Legal Defence Fund to discuss this and much more. Ed is a lawyer who holds advanced degrees in medical ethics and philosophy. He served as chairman of the Missouri Republican Party and as a member of the Republican National Committee. In 2016, Ed co-authored the New York Times bestseller, The Conservative Case for Trump. He's a board member of the Patriot Freedom Project, which provides support for the January 6th political prisoners. Ed Martin, welcome back to TNT and Happy New Year to you. Thank you, Chris. Happy New Year to you and your listeners. Thank you. Um, how heartless is this judge in denying Donald Trump time to mourn his mother-in-law's passing? It wasn't like, oh, can we delay this until after the election? Yeah. I, look, at, at this point, um, Donald Trump does something to uh, people. Uh, I think many people who love him and love his policies have a have an affection and, and a belief in him that may surprise people sometimes. And people that dislike him, I, I, you know, I mean, common courtesy, you'd expect, maybe you split the baby, right? Maybe the guy comes in and says, I need three weeks to do this. And you say to them in the courtroom or to the judge, when's the funeral? And they say, well, it's next Thursday. They say, well, okay, we'll wait till the Monday after that, but we're not waiting another week later. I mean, I, I understand this, this process has gone on for a long time. And if you're a judge, you're probably tired of the bright lights and you're tired of the attention clearly. Uh, but common courtesy, you just think, and, and you know, what Trump is so good at is it just doesn't sound right for somebody to be told no in that kind of setting. And I think more people are sympathetic to the guy who is being run all over the country as a defendant. And it doesn't look like, you know, I mean, it, most of us were like, oh, I valued my property at 10 million when it's really 50 million or vice versa. Most of us are like, I value my property at 10 bucks. And, uh, you know, someone says it's worth 50. I, so I think it makes it more sympathetic. I think you're exactly right. And the latest from the court is that Trump has defied the judge by delivering a speech on the final day of his fraud trial. He's claimed to be an innocent man persecuted by someone running for office. Your reaction to that um, well, the, rebuff? Yeah, At the end of the day, the judge was not happy, apparently, according to those who were yeah. there. Yeah, look, I think there's a couple things on this one. Uh, Donald Trump is a New Yorker, right? He lives in Florida now for the purposes of probably taxes and other things, but he's a New Yorker. He and his family, his father was from there. He really had his success in developing in New York, a very complex real estate market, all that thing. And this is kind of an attack. This is this one I think is personal to President Trump. I think he feels like you know, I built this huge successful business. I did all these kinds of things. And this guy's really being nasty about it. Now, it is true. New York judges run for office. And that that is a factor in, in, in this. They run for a lot of judges across the country at the state level in our states run for office. So it's not that different, but it does certainly ring in your ear. And he says, oh, you know, this is just a, a political stunt. You're running for office. Um, but I do think it's personal. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, this trial means nothing except 
licensing. I mean, it's not criminal liability. Nobody goes to jail. He could be fined a bunch of money. He could lose his license to practice business in the state. I think that yeah. would infuriate the guy. Uh, but I, I'm not sure it matters except he's, I mean, it, it matters because it makes him upset and it's not right, I think. Uh, but ultimately, I think it washes out and uh, and and we move on to uh, the election in a few, in, you know, 10 months or so. When it comes to crime, Ed, you, you're the lawyer. <laughs> I'm not. But I yeah. see crime being determined by premeditation and victims. Now, yeah. let's presume there's some premeditation there. There are no victims, even those yeah. that um, received his estimate of uh, his wealth were not upset by what was quoted. Yeah. No, look, I, that is, you're exactly right. And and that is one of the things that I think is so frustrating to a lot of us is that, you know, you, you're not establishing a motive, you're not establishing victims, you're not establishing a sort of pathway where you're benefiting. You're making deals with banks and you're all playing the game. I mean, I hate yeah. banks. I hate insurance companies. I hate car dealers, right? Because they're always on the other side of you. You got to play them and play along. You know, in, in a similar way, one of the problems with the January 6th prosecution, Chris, in my mind, is what all that he did was conduct to check on the elections. And in order for them to make that a fraud, they have to convince a jury and the public that they can read Donald Trump's mind, that he actually yeah. knew the election was fair. He was just lying about it to, 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 because his mindset was his mens rea, as they say, was, I believe the election was fraudulent. There was problems. I'm going to do everything I can as president to make sure it was done right. So you have this problem again, same thing where they're going to read his mind and they're going to say, ah, he's Hitler. And then he's acting like a dictator, but the evidence is not there to prove that, and and therefore you can't really charge a, a crime. You can't you can't charge first degree murder if you don't have evidence that someone did some things and showed some uh, mindset to commit the murder directly in America. So it, it's a very strange situation. It's it's like Trump derangement syndrome has swept the nation. You know, Whoopi Goldberg, the famous actress, she was on TV today. And she was begging Liz Cheney, a Republican, to run for president as a third party because she said, Whoopi Goldberg, Donald Trump is going to lock up and put away the gays. That's what she said. It, this is this is it, this is uh, this is mental health illness masquerading as opinion. Yes, that is so true. And your point about what was in his mind. Huh. after that election is very, very important. And it does not matter that down the track he may have discovered that there wasn't the impropriety right. or corruption right. that he was alleging. It doesn't matter. It makes no, no. difference. Still on this topic then, still on this case, um, the persecution of the government's nemesis, reports suggest that Fulton County District Attorney oh. Fanny Willis secretly <laughs> colluded with the one-sided Democratic-run January 6th committee to obtain tips that would help her prosecute Donald Trump. No, Could this, this is a, revelation yeah, this actually is, no, un, uh, uh, up yeah, in yeah. the prosecution. Oh, oh, it, it has to. It has to. It's even more exciting. It's I'm even more titillating. With let's do it like in America we call it the National Enquirer. Fanny Willis had a boyfriend. The boyfriend was married at the time. His now ex-wife in the divorce said he, he was cheating on me with Fannie Willis. He never, lawyer, he never prosecuted a criminal case, but he was hired as the special prosecutor for Fannie Willis to get Trump. He goes to DC and meets with the vice president of the United States in the White House. And it's all paid for by the Georgia prosecutor's office of his paramour to try to get Trump. And then they come back and they get Trump. There's no way 
even a, a, a crazed state court judge can look at this and not say, hold on a second, you, you know, you're going to have to back out of this and, and re-indict or, or reset things because this prosecutor was completely out of his league and his element and what he did. It's, it, it's, and again, at this point, you know, when Donald Trump says they're doing this and people say, oh, he's always, you know, as he's seeing all this, every time it seems like he's right. I mean, Fannie Willis was really scheming with the White House yes. and with her boyfriend to get Trump. And uh, so I don't know how there's been papers filed in Georgia and the judge has to rule on it. Usually in this case, there would be a hearing and the judge would call in the prosecutor and this, uh, this guy, the special prosecutor and say, uh, what the hell's going on here? But the, the question is whether he's just going to rule, as we say, on the papers because he doesn't want a hearing that would be so dramatic. But I, I would say, Georgia, that case is is over. Um, it, it's not going to come to anything. It never was, I don't think, particularly real. But it was down and dirty in state court, which is a lot harder to try to manage uh, in some ways. It could seriously upend not only the prosecution oh. of Donald Trump, but the yeah. 18 co-defendants, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, one of those co-defendants is a friend of mine, Jeff Clark, and I saw him and he said, you know, we are lawyers. We're looking at it. We don't know how they go go forward. I mean, basically, if you're a criminal defendant and you've got that prosecution, because remember, they had to go in America, you have to go before a grand jury. That's a secret jury to get the indictment. And now you can basically say the grand jury indictment was fraudulent, you know, was improperly done. And the whole thing starts to crumble and you you really can't get past the elements of the case, because every time you can say, oh, where'd you get that? Oh, we got it from this uh, special prosecutor who was meeting with the yeah. White House. It, it's going to grind it up no matter what. And again, I think what they'd have to do if they were uh, going to do it, they'd have to back out and recharge everybody uh, with the yeah. indictment with a new grand jury. And I doubt it's going to happen. Start all over again. That is yep. not going yep. to be acceptable internally or externally. I want to take Correct. a quick break to news, Ed, very quickly, and I'll come back and I want to talk to you about media lies and something that has been prosecuted this week by Vivek Ramaswamy so brilliantly. We'll get to Ed Martin right after a break for news on TNT. Great news. The news. We have news. Great news. Great news. Great news. Great news, my friends. Yeah. Listen. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. With support from Australia and Canada, the United States and Britain have launched large-scale retaliatory strikes against Iranian-backed rebels in Yemen. A new bombshell report released by the Pentagon has revealed the US has lost track of over $1 billion worth of military equipment it has sent to Ukraine. And Hunter Biden appeared briefly in an LA courtroom on Thursday, the first son pleading not guilty to nine federal tax crimes. On air and on the app. I listen on the app. Stay up to date around the clock. I listen, therefore I know. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Let's get back with Ed Martin. Ed, Republican presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy, who I know you're a great fan of, flipped the script on reporters during a press conference in Iowa this week. I thought this was brilliant. He asked the journalists themselves a very important question. Have a listen. By show of hands, who here is willing to admit that the Trump-Russia collusion hoax was indeed incorrectly reported by the mainstream media? Is there anybody here able to admit 
that that was incorrect reporting. It wouldn't be really appropriate for us to answer a question. Why not? Why would that be inappropriate? I think it would be inappropriate. What's inappropriate is lying to the public. We're, just, we're doing our job asking you. Was the public lying to or did the, did the media report on this set of facts that were provided? So, I, so that's, that's a fair question. I actually think that the public was lied to long after the media systematically still understood that this was the product of the Steele dossier. The Steele dossier was a piece of Russian disinformation provided by the Hillary Clinton campaign that was served up to the federal government as a basis for issuing a FISA warrant to then potentially infiltrate a member of the opposition party. If this was Bush and Cheney doing it to John Kerry, this would have been the stuff of scandal. Ed, Vivek is 100% correct here, isn't he? He sure is. Look, the guy, you know, you, you set me up with this in terms of my uh, appreciation for him. We've never had a communicator as fearless as him <laughs> that's not Trump. I mean, and, and in some ways he's more likable than Trump. You know, he's not, nobody thinks he's mean. And, and actually he's a, what, Indian American or whatever he is. So they have, it freezes some of the thing. No, it's masterful. He's done this on a number of questions on the hoaxes, uh, whether it's the Russia collusion hoax, he has been brilliant. And I think history will mark him as one of the key figures in breaking the January 6 hoax apart. I, I got a call today uh, that from a guy, a, a senior staffer up on the Hill. And he called me because I had done some research and some reporting on uh, what I call the uh, Mr. Coffee, the gallows, the, the guy who, the people who built the famous gallows. Joe Biden last week opened up his reelection campaign and he used the image of the gallows yes. and, the, and the noose. It, it, and and it, was, it was a totally fraudulent thing. It was put up in, on January 6th at 6.30 in the morning by five what looked like professional political guys. They might be operatives of the government, but they look more like political guys or even media. And they used the image immediately. And, and so I had all this information. Senior staffer calls me and he says, we got to get to the bottom of Mr. Coffee because they're using it as, as such a dramatic thing against us. Vivek Ramaswamy is the guy that really put a, a knife through this uh, hoax and yep. allowed other people to come rushing in. And he's done it with the media in, uh, in, 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 New in Des Moines, in Iowa, in that case, and all across the country. It's been extraordinary to see and watch. Even better, I'm sorry to rant, but even better on, uh, they tried to catch him on religion and atheism and all this stuff. And he had an answer. He's like, it's America. He's like, you can be whatever you want and I'm gonna respect that. It was brilliant. He's been really extraordinary. Okay, but he didn't qualify yeah. For the debate, the final uh -huh. debate, Chris Christie, as we know, uh, ended his own campaign. So where does all of this play out now with DeSantis and, you know, Nikki Haley as the last two standing, presumably? Now, Ramaswamy says he's not out of the campaign at all. Um, where do the votes go? Where do they fall? And how does that fit with the well, elevation or decline of Ron DeSantis? Well, you know, I know you've got a global audience, and so there's some Americans that are listening too. But for the non-Americans, let me uh, let me be clear and burst everyone's bubble about this. All that's happening now is political consultants, journalists, and television stations making money off of of the process. It's all Trump. It's all over. There's not going to be anyone who surges and succeeds. Vivek Ramaswamy has been an extraordinary communicator, but as you mentioned, he's only in the single digits. De DeSantis is in the single digits. Haley, 
I have yet to meet someone who actually likes Haley, but they tell us Nikki Haley is surging. It's a lie. She's got $70 million behind her, and that's making a difference if you run enough ads and do enough robo-dials. So there'll be a whole bunch of consultants in North Carolina and, excuse me, in New, uh, New Hampshire and South Carolina, are the next two states. They'll make lots of money. The TV stations will be, make lots of money. The journalists will get lots of, uh, of, of stories written. It doesn't mean a thing. It's all Trump the whole time. It doesn't matter. Every time someone drops, like Christie, there are a number of people that hate Trump and Christie's, but there are a few that are going to be like, Trump's going to win. They want to be with a winner. So it's not going to go 100% to anyone. Same thing with DeSantis. DeSantis will be done, I think, probably after Iowa. Uh, he, he's not going to go and let himself be beaten. He, he, he believes he's got a future, and I'm not sure he does, but he's not going to want to lose Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina, and then pretend he's got a future. He's going to yeah. quit soon after and say, it's Trump, and let's go Trump. And uh, nicely, for I'm a Trump supporter and a Trump fan, uh, Haley and uh, DeSantis are beating the heck out of each other. So that makes it harder for either one of them to ever quit and say, go with Nikki. I just said she was uh, rotten on XYZ. So, <laughs> But it's over. It's a, it's, a, it's a Trump nomination. And at this point, it's Trump versus Biden. It's all just glitter and lights and camera and, and action. I love it. And, and, money. Lots yeah. of, and lots of money changing hands. Yeah. Uh, Hunter Biden made a very unexpected appearance at a Capitol oh. Hill hearing on Wednesday. But as soon as Marjorie Taylor Greene began to speak, and of course she was armed with her gripping uh, <laughs> rated X photographs in front of her, yeah. out went Hunter straight out through the exit door. Um, yeah. she, he fears her, doesn't he? Well, look, I, I mean, the, the the chutzpah, the the the, the uh, you know, the 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 Hunter Biden's willingness to to flaunt conventional wisdom and and to just basically taunt the Republicans in power, it's it's striking, it's stunning, it's I, in some ways, it's I admire, it, it's kind of crazy. We haven't seen anything like it since some of the stuff Trump does. Uh, on the other hand, as you point out, once he got his soundbite or got a few images, he realized, uh, I'm not going to stay and have to react to this stuff. And he ran. By the way, he went to the he went to the airport. There were pictures of him in the airport a few hours later because he was flying to Los Angeles to plead not guilty in his tax case. He's not exactly in the best position. And, and remember, what's guaranteed to happen is in the weeks after November, whoever the president is, if Trump win, if Biden wins, he'll do it anyway. But if Biden loses, he'll do it anyway. He's going to pardon Hunter. And Hunter Biden will be pardoned by his dad on all this stuff to keep him out of jail. Nobody thinks this is going to go all the way to the wall. And that's part of the reason why you'll hear some people say, don't bother with the contempt charges. Remember, a contempt of Congress charge gets referred to the Department of Justice. That's Biden's Department of Justice to prosecute the case. At the yeah. very least, they'll delay it, but yeah. it, more likely it'll just fade away. Now, I want to talk about Army recruits. In 2023, oh. the U.S. Army missed its recruiting goal of 65,000 soldiers by 10,000, with just 44% of new recruits categorized as white in 2023, compared to 564 in 2018. Young white males are clearly disenfranchised with the military under the Biden administration. Explain that to our wider audience. Well, I mean, a couple of things. First of all, an important observation is the American military, Obama wanted it and has done it dramatically. And, and Trump tried to change it a little bit. It had, didn't have time. They, they, they've really radically changed uh, the mission. 
The mission used to be military superiority and dominating the world. Now it's a social services agency. It's an agent for change. It's got all these other things. It's become something that's un almost unrecognizable to the post-World War II generation. That's, that's one thing. That's ongoing. But as you say, look, it's the same thing as cops. In America, I've got friends that are in law enforcement and we've been, you know, we've been in this for long enough that my friends are now detectives and police chiefs of towns. They have a terrible time recruiting young people who to be a, a, a cop. And they have a terrible time recruiting young white people to be yep. a cop, mostly young men, because if you're a white man and you do the wrong thing to the wrong colored person, you're going to end up in prison like Derek Chauvin. And Derek Chauvin is in prison because George Floyd overdosed. That's the that's the absolute positive record. George Floyd overdosed, but he's black, and Chauvin was not. I'm not saying Chauvin did everything perfect, but Chauvin does not deserve to be in jail like he's in jail, and he's being stabbed, and he's being yeah. abused. Th this, and it's the same thing with the military. Uh, my brother's a retired Marine, uh, U.S. Marine uh, officer, uh, and uh, he said he talks to the guys that are in that were behind him, and he's been out a few years, and he said they can't get out, they can't leave fast enough because of the political correctness, the transgender stuff that, you know, the, the, they're not, they're not doing what they're supposed to do. And again, in America, you can like it or not, we have a great tradition of, of our white males willing to die for the country and, and, and African-American males and Hispanic males too. But uh, I think the white males are saying, Hey, um, it's not worth that trouble for that risk. And that's a terrible problem for this country. That the whole ethos was we're in this together. And some of us, White males, black males, mostly males, uh, Hispanic males would die for the country, and people aren't buying into that because of what they see around them. It's a, and I think mission accomplished for the left. That's yeah. what they wanted. That look, they were going to take down William Penn. William Penn had slaves, I guess. Pennsylvania, they were going to take down the sign. I, I mean, his statue. They backed off, actually, surprisingly. Uh, but that's the world we're we're living in right now in America. This is all self-perpetuated by the Biden administration, and they should take sole blame for white people backing out of any kind of duty to their country, which is awfully sad. It is. It is very sad. It's very sad. And it's very worrying because we've got a, uh, no matter what America knits together, we're not a, we don't have a hereditary, we're, we're like Australia. We don't have a hereditary, uh, you know, uh, kings and all that. We're a hodgepodge. And what knitted us together is the patriotism of the constitution and the rule of law and our history of doing that for each other. And when you tear apart the history and tear apart the constitution, you, you run a risk of losing something more than just those uh, pieces of paper or those uh, history books. You run a risk of really losing the fabric of our republic. And I think that's what we're all afraid of and fighting for. You have come out of the blocks today. You've been on fire. You've obviously had a good break. <laughs> I thank you very much for your time, Ed Martin. Always a pleasure, Chris. I'll talk to you very soon. Very, very pleased to have you on the program. President of the Eagle Forum Education and Legal Defense Fund, Ed Martin, who we'll have on the program very, very soon. We'll take a break and get your calls on our talkback lines right here on TNT. Anticipate potential delays for the morning commute. In other news, a recent government report on prescription drug pricing points to corporate mouth. Freedom of the press is about your right to know. What are you talking about, man? Look at his stats. It's about your right to be informed. Your right to access all types of information keeps us free as a nation. No, 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 no. Today, there are real threats to press freedom. residential areas by... And your right to know about the world around us. Look. Some threats are obvious, 
Some are easy to miss, but they all put our way of life at risk. We must defend against all of these threats, no matter what kind of news is important to you. Justified putting American troops in harm's way. That's a great question. We must protect our right to know before it's too late. Understand the threats. Protectpressfreedom.org. I'm Naheem Hines, professional football player and proud supporter of the Muscular Dystrophy Association. My mom was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy when I was 14, and I watched her struggle. But MDA helped her get the best treatments and care, and they also help kids like my buddy Ethan. My name is Ethan, and I'm 12 years old. Thanks to the Muscular Dystrophy Association and people like you, I have more hope than ever before. From day one, they've treated me like family at my local care center. MDA is the only one that funds over 150 care centers across the U.S. to help provide state-of-the-art care for adults and kids like me. For over 70 years, MDA has been transforming the lives of people living with muscular dystrophy, ALS, and other related neuromuscular diseases. They fund the research for breakthrough treatments, care, and cures. And MDA provides support to thousands of families like mine and Ethan's in communities like yours. Thanks to MDA, kids and adults can live life to its fullest. Join us and learn more at mda.org today. Right, I've got cancer. I've been trying to tell the rest of you, but no one's listening. And I don't just mean you, ears. Eyes, would you look in the damn toilet for once? Hands, roll those sleeves and take a sample. And legs, trot off to the doctor to get me looked at. Because bowel cancer can be successfully treated when detected early. Now look who's finally woken up. Focused on the facts. Chris Smith on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hey, good to have you with us. Isn't Ed Martin just brilliant? When he breaks down some of the more convoluted issues concerning American politics and puts it in an easily understood fashion. And yes, he's a conservative, but boy, even if you were... A Democrat, you'd kind of get where Ed is coming from. And he's uh, an, an, an unapologetic Trump fan, but he's got a lot of time for the likes of Vivek Ramaswamy and others. He said it clearly. Um, Alex has just sent me a message on our chat box, which you can be part of on TNTradio.live. And he says, an incredibly great start to today's Chris Smith show. Chris and Ed are a stellar pair. Great work. Ed and Chris. Well said. Thank you, Alex. I appreciate that. But more importantly, it's great to have Ed on board. Well, the latest from the Middle East, which you may have been picked up during the last couple of news bulletins, is that the United Kingdom and the United States have conducted airstrikes on targets inside Yemen. Washington and London authorised their jets to attack what they called strongholds of the Houthi rebels a fundamentalist Shia Islam group aligned with Iran. The attack comes after the after the Houthis carried out a two-month campaign of drone attacks on ships in the Red Sea in what they said was support for the Palestinians of Gaza. Meanwhile, Israel is circling Gaza, their special forces troops are anyway, fearing that Hamas may be about to secretly take the remaining hostages elsewhere to other parts of the Middle East. This comes from a report in the Lebanese news site Al-Akbar. To unpack these military manoeuvres, not just in the Middle East but elsewhere, let's bring in former intelligence officer Shane Healy. He predicted the US-UK 
attacks on the program this time last week, by the way. Shane enlisted in the Australian Army in 1995. Between 2004 and 2008, he was a private military contractor in Iraq. After re-enlisting in 2009, he became a member of the Australian Intelligence Corps and was deployed twice to Afghanistan. When in Australia, he was part of the Tactical Assault Group, where he was involved in several terrorist incidents. During 2014 and 15, Shane deployed to the UAE and Baghdad. The Middle East is his expertise. Shane Healy is in Sydney. Welcome back to TNT. Shane, Happy New Year to you. You too, Chris. Good afternoon. All right. You predicted it last week. The Houthis were asking for this. They wouldn't heed the warnings over their actions in the Red Sea. And you were right. The US decided to attack. Um, but even now, the White House has made a statement in the last hour saying they expect them to retaliate, really? Yeah, I think uh, it wasn't just the US. It was the UK. They did speak to Australia. They spoke to Canada. They did get a bit of a, a coalition agreement before they launched these attacks. Uh, part of it is they're very worried about the outcome in the international criminal case. So the South Africans are bringing against the Israelis. That could actually put some legitimacy into what the uh, Houthis have been doing. So this was a preemptive strike, as we discussed last week. Let's talk about that then. Um, let's talk about what's happening with the international court. This is a genocide case. It, it doesn't go for a week or two weeks. It could actually go for years, and it involves up to 17 judges. What do you know about the opening, the opening of that particular trial? So it's been a, a long time last night watching this. The the, um, the fact that Israel have actually sent a delegation to fight it, it's the first time they've done this. Normally they ignore these kind of international accusations. So there, it shows you how seriously they're taking it, which actually puts some credence into what the South Africans uh, are putting forward. Uh, you know, it's all based on humanitarian. You can't, And we've been saying this for weeks, you can't attack the Palestinian people, you can't starve them, you can't withheld uh, aid to them. And that's the, the genesis of the argument the South Africans are putting forward. Why South Africa? That's an excellent question. I think because um, they've copped it a fair bit over the years for apartheid. They're trying to come out on the international stage. And I think that they uh, behind the scenes, uh, you'll see some countries kind of made some trade deals with them. Uh, it, it's not um, some of the more known countries couldn't do this in case it didn't work. Uh, so I think there's a, a been a bit of wheeling and dealing behind the scenes. And so this will go for years because um, it's one thing to have a court case, but you've got to have investigators prior to the court case gathering evidence, right? Yeah, but I think it's also meant to force um, the Israelis' hand on behalf of the UN. Right. So, you know, it's easy. It could end tomorrow. Israel just says, right, we'll make these concessions. Uh, humanitarian aid can come in, X, Y, and Z. But like you've said previously, now they've got Israeli special forces encircling Gaza. So they're ramping it up on the militarily side. So how are they going to then allow more humanitarian aid to get inside that, that um, military circle, so to speak? Yeah, while we're talking about what's happening in the front line in Gaza, the West Bank, in the Red Sea, in Yemen now, 
we seem to forget or little is covered about the existence of the hostages. The idea that Hamas still holds hostages is just an outrage and the world doesn't talk about it enough. What's happening? And I would presume that there would be many more of these hostages who have died in captivity. So you're right. And a part of this is because inside Israel itself, there's massive protests um, on the Netanyahu government. So he's trying to end that talk both inside Israel and outside, because as long as people forget that or, or don't see that, they just see Hamas is an evil terrorist group. It's continuing to add legitimacy to those military operations inside Gaza. If we start talking about hostage release and then they um, and let the uh, humanitarian aid in, it takes the precedence away from what Israel actually want to do, and that is get rid of the Palestinians out of Gaza. Okay. Meanwhile, you've got Blinken who's roaming around the Middle East trying to get support for what will be the next step, which is the rebuilding of the Gaza Strip and hopefully some kind of two-state deal. Uh, It sounds as if the Israelis don't give a damn about talking about this, but it's certainly something that the UN and the United States want to. Where will that end? Uh, Where will that progress to, do you think? I think that the Israelis want to end this in their favour as soon as possible because then the talk for two-state solutions off the table if the Israelis own Gaza. So while they can talk, and the next step is also ISIS are regrouping in the Middle East. There's other extremist groups out there. It's not just Hamas. Hezbollah are raising up, you know, Iran are funding that second front, which we've discussed um, in Lebanon. So they're trying to diffuse one side of the coin, and Blinken's just trying to bring the whole Middle East to some sort of normalcy because, again, we've got elections coming up. Like the US, Biden does not want to fight an American election on national security. All right, let's go to another part of the Middle East, in Iraq, and the country's senior leadership there have done a bit of a backflip. They now want the US to stay in their backyard. Now, is this an indication of what side they're on in this Israeli Hamas conflict, or is it just an appeal to be protected Uh, from what might ensue in the Middle East? Well, the Shia Iraqi government are very Iranian-backed. And so they don't want their country to have, to be the the nexus of a Iran-US conflict like, you know, we've essentially seen before. So they want to allow the US to have that strike cell um, out at Bayap, so the Baghdad diplomatic zone, which has been there since I was there in 2014, uh, allow them to use some of their airfields to conduct operations against ISIS, which ISIS are rebuilding in uh, the the Shia Al uh, Anbar part of Iraq, and some of those camps are up around 10,000, 15,000 ISIS fighter supporters again. So uh, it's in the Shia Iraqi government's best interest to allow the US to continue to continue to attack the Sunni ISIS side of their country. Okay, so so in terms of this Mark II of ISIS, what will their plan of attack be? What will their intention be? Will it be different to what they tried to do several years ago? No, it'll be exactly the same, uh, to re-engage a caliphate in the Sunni West. So you've got to understand that um, 
the two-thirds of Iraq is Shia-dominated, and that's the Iranian-Persian southern end. That western desert into Syria is very Sunni-dominated, which is where the caliphate was last time. And again, for a lot of those um, Sunni uh, farmers in Fallujah and Haditha, life is better under a, a Sunni government or a Sunni organisation than it is under an Iranian-backed Shia Baghdad government. Okay. Now, I did want to talk about the Pacific too, because while we were, you know, focusing on other regions, um, we've had a uh, some unsettling uh, days in Papua New Guinea, a hell of a week actually, with a police strike, and then that um, led to riots, as I understand it, which include looting. Um, both Australia and China have commented on what's gone on here. They're both very interested. Firstly, before we talk about China's interest, um, am I right in saying that this was because of a police strike? And what's what's the uh, what's the trigger for all of that? Yeah, so you're exactly right. The police went on strike because the government uh, refused a wage increase and to pay some of their wages. And it's not just the police. So, um, you know, they the Prime Minister of PNG is talking about putting some of the defence assets in a Port Moresby, but the def- half of the defence force are siding with the police because they're not getting a wage increase or their payments either. So um, I think if the Papua New Guinea government don't bring this under control within the next few days, they will seek Australian military assistance like we've seen in East Timor, like we've seen in the Solomon Islands. And to be honest, this is my big uh, prediction for this week, is that in the next week to two weeks, there will be a request for Australian military assistance in Papua New Guinea again. And so this is very to your- similar to what's happening in the Solomon Islands. You know, China yep. wants wants to be the preferred ally in the Solomon Islands and have become that really, despite the, you know, decades-long relationship between the Solomon Islands and Australia. Is this something that could uh, develop in PNG too? Yeah, the difference is there is a lot of ethnic Chinese in the Solomon Islands. With PNG, it's strategic. They want to have a Chinese PLA base between Australia and Hawaii for the simple purpose of having a presence to collect intelligence, but a military presence to put some friction between that Australia, that AUKUS alliance. And, you know, to the point where the Australian government will give the NRL millions of dollars to include a PNG side in the NRL to keep putting Australian aid to counter the Chinese um, influence in Papua New Guinea. But um, it is definitely a geopolitical friction point between Australia, the US and China. Okay, let's return to the very first question I asked you about the Houthis. Um, The White House says they expect retaliation. What kind of form will that take? And are we about to see the introduction of Iran into this particular Middle East conflict? Well, Iran's already been uh, introduced. They're the ones that are firing the missiles into the US bases in Iraq. The, The question will be, and we spoke about this last week, there was... Iran said that they were going to put an Iranian naval vessel into the Red Sea in yeah. order to support the Houthis. That's the next step. So if Iran are going to say we're going to defend the Houthis, they will move a naval asset into the Red Sea, which is why I think the US and the UK, with this massive preemptive strike overnight, has basically said to Iran, we are not playing the ground anymore. If you want to put a ship in, we'll take you on. And 
that's happened in the Persian Gulf before. The Iranians have held U.S. Uh, ships hostage and the U.S. have retaken that. So it's not unusual and hasn't happened before. So, uh, yeah. Okay, so second question from me about what's yeah. coming up, and that involves this circling of Gaza by special forces from the IDF. Um, how do they stop hostages being smuggled out when you consider the number of you know tunnels that lead out of Gaza? They don't, Chris. It's a purely uh, information operation. You know, right. we're encircling this, but as we we know, you know, there's so many tunnels that they don't know about. It's impossible for them to stop this. It's purely um, a a uh, rhetoric uh, information operation to the world to. Egypt to uh, Syria to Lebanon to say we are dominating the battle space um, and this is where we're at. And again, like I said, it's also putting um, um, strength back into Israel because there's a lot of Israelis that want this to end themselves. Yeah, very, very true. Shane Healy, you've um, done brilliantly with all of that. That's uh, It's really good to get that kind of insight into not only what's happening but also what will it uh, what it will lead to fabulous to have you on the program again we'll catch up again next week thank you anytime chris take care all right australian army former intelligence officer shane healy great insight and we'll speak with him next week because things are happening and changing so quickly in the middle east uh we've got to get to a news break and then after that we'll come back and we'll uh, speak with john ruddick and jim ball too don't go anywhere this is chris smith on tnt